We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 6. So very first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, uh, and we'll start in verse 5. Uh, when our oldest daughter, Elizabeth, was a toddler, about 18 months old, as she was learning to speak, she had this one word that she would say a lot that we could never understand what it was that she was saying. The word was uh, hana. She would say it uh, when we were out and about, and especially when she saw another baby pass by us, she would suddenly start pointing and go, Hana, 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 Hana. And she would say it over and over again, and we could never understand what is this word supposed to mean. We thought maybe it meant, I want that, I want to, whatever, we, we would guess. And she would get increasingly frustrated with us because clearly we were missing whatever it was that she was trying to say. Uh, until one day when she was maybe about two, a little over two, this had gone on for months at this point, with Hana being one of the primary words in her, her vocabulary, and we couldn't understand it. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, this baby rolled by uh, in a stroller, and she looked at it, and, and Hana suddenly turned into Strunna. And all of a sudden, we realized she's trying to say stroller. And so we were, we were like, are you saying stroller? And she's like, yes, right? She, she's like, I, I finally got through to you people what it is I've been trying to say to you for months. And then Strunna turned into stroller over time. And so now she's 18. She speaks very well. She can say stroller very clearly. But learning to communicate, learning to talk is a process. It doesn't come immediately. It's not an overnight process. Uh, a kid will try to communicate and, and you may not fully understand and they may not say it well and you're trying to listen well and so there's this dialogue that happens uh, between you and the child as they learn to communicate better and better over time. Prayer is often the same way in the way that it functions in our lives and in our relationships with God. A lot of us would say, we do pray. We, we pray, in fact, if you survey Americans, most Americans say, I pray at least for, for some period of time every single day. But I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we would say prayer is a little bit of a struggle. Prayer is hard at times, at least it is for me. Sometimes I struggle to say things the way that I ought to say things. Sometimes I struggle with my motivations. Are the things that I'm praying for the right things or the wrong things? Sometimes when I pray, I wonder, is God hearing me? Is, is this getting through? Am I communicating well? Is God listening? Uh, is God going to answer? Right. So we have all of these questions, I think, that swirl around us when we think about the topic of prayer. And yet I think most of us, we want to learn how to pray because we know as we read the scripture that prayer is an essential part of knowing and walking with God. We want to do it well, but much like a toddler learning to speak, there's this lifelong process for those who want to walk with Jesus of learning how to pray well, of learning how to pray confidently, of learning how to pray faithfully. And so what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we are going to look at the topic of prayer uh, from one small section of the Gospel of Matthew that is known as the Lord's Prayer. Some of you probably have the Lord's Prayer memorized, that it begins, you know, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, and it goes on from there. Some of you probably have it memorized, but what we're going to look at is what is it that Jesus says about prayer, how we should pray, 
why we should pray, what we should expect when we pray, what we should pray for. So in this short section of the Gospel of Matthew, over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the topic of prayer. And my hope is for all of us that as we get through this series, as we move through this series, we will not only deepen in our understanding of prayer, but we will actually become people who pray. People who pray, who learn how to talk to God, how to connect with God. The kinds of things to ask for, the kinds of things to bring before him. And my prayer is that uh, some of you, you may go from I don't pray very much at all to I at least pray a little bit every day. Some of you may go from I pray but I don't feel connected to God to saying my prayer life is deepened. And it's grown through this process. I don't think any of us are going to become expert prayers as a result of this series. But my prayer is that wherever we are, we'll just take the next step forward as we read and listen to what Jesus has to say about prayer. So, so this morning what we're going to do as we begin this discussion, we're going to start a little bit before the actual Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 8 where Jesus uh, gives some instructions about how not to pray. So he sets up his discussion of how to pray by saying, don't pray like this. And we're going to see that Jesus is going to say that prayer is not. There's two things it's not. It's not a performance. We don't pray to impress people. Nor is it manipulation. In other words, we don't pray to try to twist God's arm to give us the things that we want. Although we bring our requests before God, we don't worship, we're going to see, we don't worship a pagan God whose arm we have to twist through lots of rituals and special prayer practices and all of these kinds of things. So prayer is not a performance. It is not manipulation. So what is it? Well, prayer is personal connection with God. Prayer is personal connection with God. As we talk with him, as we bring our requests to him, as we worship him, as we thank him, as we confess sin to him, prayer is a personal relationship with God. That's where we're going to head as we look at the Lord's Prayer and especially this passage that precedes it. A little bit of context. Matthew chapter 6, where the Lord's Prayer is placed, is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, you may or may not know, is the longest sermon of Jesus that is recorded in the Bible. So it it covers Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is he says, this is what it looks like ideally to be a righteous and holy person. This is what the righteousness of God ought to look like as it works its way out in your life. And so Jesus talks about all kinds of things like how we approach our money, how we think about worry, how our hearts and minds ought to to think on a daily basis, Uh, spiritual practices like in chapter 6, he's going to talk about fasting and giving and prayer. So he talks about all kinds of topics, and here's what Jesus does. He takes the standard of God's righteousness, and he says, I want you to understand, if you want to be a righteous person, the standard is way, way, way up here. You can stand on your tippy toes, you can reach for the sky, but the standard of God is way, way, way up here. And so as Jesus walks through the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of us are going to go, well, I can't reach that standard. I can't be like that. And Jesus is going to essentially end his sermon in chapter 7. He's going to say, yep, you can't. And so what you need is a transformation from the inside out 
that comes only through Jesus, through the righteousness that Jesus offers. And so he'll say, I want you to build your life on me. Now, in the context of this sermon, he talks about prayer and fasting and giving and our heart's attitudes toward these practices. And basically what Jesus says is, I want you to understand righteousness and holiness are not a matter primarily or first of external observance. In other words, we're not righteous because we pray a certain number of minutes a day. We're not holy because we fast or because we give. Instead, what what ought to be happening is a transformation of our hearts from the inside out by the power of God that ought to motivate and lead us to want to pray, to want to fast, to want to give, to want to honor God. That's the context in which he places this discussion about prayer. And here's where he's going to say again, it's not a performance, it's not manipulation, it's personal connection to a God that you know through Jesus Christ. And I think that's going to help us as we walk through this topic of prayer. In a lot of the struggles we have with prayer, I think a lot of us approach it as, okay, I've got to pray a certain number of minutes in a certain way, at a certain place, at a certain time in order to get God to hear me. And Jesus is going to say, what I want you to understand, prayer is first and foremost about, do you know God and do you want to know him better? Do you love God and do you want to love him more deeply? So prayer is not performance or manipulation, but personal connection with God. So dive in with me, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 5. Jesus begins by saying, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the first thing he says, again, he says, prayer is not a performance. We don't pray in order to impress people. So he begins and he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, this word hypocrite, it's a powerful word. It is used 17 times, this particular form of this word, this noun is used 17 times in the New Testament. All of the uses of this particular form of this word are in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them in the stories about Jesus' life, and all of them are placed on the lips of Jesus. Now, there's other places in the New Testament that talk about hypocrisy and people who are hypocritical. Jesus is the only one who calls people hypocrites. What does the word mean? Well, the word essentially is a person who pretends to be one thing that they're really not. A person who pretends to be spiritual on the outside, but inside their heart might be far from God. The, the origin of this word comes from the theater, uh, from the idea of a person who would play a role, put on a mask. Greek actors would often put on different masks to represent different characters. And Jesus says that's often the way that people approach the spiritual life, is they say, I want to look righteous, I want to look holy, I want to look good in front of other people. So when I'm in public, I will pray these really uh, strong, sort of eloquent, visible prayers. But, but in, the, in the quietness of my own heart, I might not actually have much of a relationship 
with God. This type of hypocrisy can happen to all of us in big ways and in small ways. I think those of us who want to know God and who are engaged with church and and who maybe even sometimes pray in public, people like me, uh, that can be a particular temptation to try to look holy when inside there might be some, some rot going on. There might be some distance from God going on. Uh, I ran across uh, this study, 2010, Tufts University did a study in which they interviewed five pastors who were secretly atheists. All right, so these were men who were preaching from the Bible, who were praying and singing in front of people, and yet secretly they had lost their faith, but they, they for whatever reason, money or courage or whatever, they didn't have the ability, they felt, just to step away and say, I don't believe this anymore, so I'm just going to keep going through the motions. Now, there was one guy they interviewed that I found this, this was a textbook definition of hypocrisy, of what Jesus talks about. He says, here's how I'm handling my job on Sunday mornings. I see it as play acting. I kind of see myself as taking on the role of a believer in a worship service and performing because I know what to say. I know how to pray publicly. I can lead singing. I love singing. I don't believe what I'm saying anymore in some of these songs, but I see it as taking on the role and performing. Maybe that's what it takes for me to get myself through this, but that's what I'm doing. Then he goes on, he says, because I do feel kind of hypocritical. It used to be the word hypocritical was like a sin. I don't hold that view anymore. Wow. I mean, that's so out there, it almost sounds like fiction, right? But it's a textbook definition of what Jesus is talking about. Here's a person that presents a face to the public that isn't actually who they are inside. That's the textbook definition of hypocrisy. Jesus gives an illustration of this kind of hypocrisy in the prayer setting in Luke chapter 18. Some of you guys have probably seen this passage or read this passage before, Luke 18. Jesus also told this parable to some who were confident that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, so this religious leader, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself. I love that. He prayed about himself like this. God, I thank you that I am not like other people extortionists, unrighteous people, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. How many times is I in that man's prayer? I am great. I am good. I thank me for how good I am, right? Jesus says, there's this guy, and he's praying like this in public because he wants everybody to know how great he is. He's praying about himself. He's not praying about God. He doesn't even really seem to be praying to God other than he says God's name at the beginning. It is a prayer about himself, for himself, for the benefit of other people. And then Jesus goes on and he says, the tax collector, however, stood far off and would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, sinner that I am. I tell you that this man went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So you have one person who's praying to exalt himself in public, another who is praying to receive forgiveness and grace from God, to connect with God, to know God, to draw closer to God. 
And Jesus says that man, that second man who was sinful in the eyes of the community was actually declared more righteous by God than the public religious leader who made a show of his prayer. So Jesus wants us to understand. He says prayer is not performance. Now, a couple of things. He's not saying that all public prayers are wrong. I want to be clear about that. Jesus himself prayed in public sometimes. So, for example, right before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he prayed in public. And he even acknowledged, I am praying this so that when you answer me, people around can see that you actually hear me and that I am talking to you, right? So, Jesus prayed in public, and he prayed in public for a reason at times. What Jesus is saying is this, that we don't pray, though, as a performance, as a show. We don't do our spirituality for display so that others can applaud. So an example of this might be uh, what, what you might call social media spirituality or Instagram quiet time. All right, some of you laugh because you know what I'm talking about. There was a trend, right, for a while where it was like, I'll have my quiet time, and then I'll take a picture of my quiet time and what I'm studying and make sure that you use a Bible that has lots of notes in it so people can see it. With my coffee, with all of that, connecting with Jesus today, right? 10 likes, 20 likes, 50 likes, 100 likes, way to go, right? Or maybe it looks like you go into your Bible study, and although you haven't really prayed throughout the week, when it is time to pray, you begin to pray, oh God, we thank thou for thy beneficence to this group, right? And you begin to launch into a long prayer that makes you look good in front of the group, but instead, on a day-to-day basis, you're not engaged in a private, personal relationship with God. Maybe, and I know I'm going from preaching to meddling here for a minute, so I would say forgive me, but it's on purpose, okay? So maybe it is that something's going on in someone's life and you say, oh man, I will pray for you today. And then you walk away and you don't. Because you know you should say it, but you don't actually do it. Right, and so Jesus says, I want you to understand, prayer isn't something we do to perform to make other people think that we're righteous, right? This is a temptation for all of us, for all of us, to exaggerate how spiritual we are, to look spiritual rather than to be spiritual. So Jesus says, don't do that. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues. Uh, That was their place of meeting where they heard from the scripture and on the street corners. So they, why? So that they may be seen by men. He says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. What is their reward in this situation? It is the applause from other people. He's like, if you're praying and doing your spirituality in public just to be seen, then that is its own reward. Congratulations. You've been rewarded for that. You got the likes. You got the applause. You got the approval of everybody else around you. But he says, don't do that. You, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is in secret will reward you. Okay, so uh, he, is, he is, again, Jesus is going to say, I want to make a contrast And he's, I think, being a little bit hyperbolic here. Uh, He's not saying that the only appropriate place to pray is in your closet, literally. 
But the picture that Jesus is painting is in a first century home, there was really usually only one room that actually might have a door that you could close and go inside. And that was some kind of an inner room, more like a closet where they would store stuff. Most of the house was kind of an open floor plan. First century had open floor plans before HGTV, right? So they had these open floor plans, really small houses, and so they would have to go into their their closet if they wanted to be alone. So he says, that ought to be the approach. You go and you get with God alone. Jesus himself, a lot of times when he prayed, because Jesus didn't own a house, right? So Jesus would often go out into the wilderness, into the countryside, up on a mountain, off by himself early in the morning before everybody else woke up so that he could be alone to connect with God. So Jesus is saying, what I want you to do is make sure that your private practice of prayer is deeper and fuller and more real than your public practice of prayer. Make sure that your private relationship with God is thriving before you come out into the public and show that relationship with God to other people. Again, Jesus is not denying the value of public prayer, nor is he saying that you always have to go and hide, but instead he's saying that the essence of prayer is your connection with God. The point of prayer is to know God, not to impress other people. Uh, When I was in seminary, I had one professor that, uh, he, he is a godly man, and so when he would pray at the beginning of class, his prayers, he was just a naturally eloquent person. I don't think he was doing it to impress us, but uh, it was impressive, I'm not going to lie. His prayers were eloquent, and they were clear, and they were deep, and so we were in class, and this was, uh, you know, 20-something years ago. There were a couple of people, only a couple of people in the class that owned laptops. Most of us took notes, you know, on pen and paper, but there was this one guy, I remember, at the front of the room that during the professor's prayers, he would still be typing, right? Just tip, tap, 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 tap. And it was, it was distracting and it was a little bit irritating. And so finally, a couple of us went to this guy and we said, hey, um, why, are you, why are you typing while he's praying? We're, you know, we're trying to pray along. And he goes, oh, no, 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 I'm typing his prayers so that I can learn them, so that I can, so that I can absorb them, so that I, uh, and he showed us. He was like, look at all of the things that he has prayed. And I remember thinking, I don't think that's what our professor had in mind. Right? I think he would feel uncomfortable with that. Right? I think the guy's heart was to learn. But I think in the process, what happened was people were applauding. Right? And Jesus says, I want you to be really, really careful about that type of approach. Prayer is not a performance. On the other hand, this might be encouraging to you. Because you don't have to be particularly eloquent. You don't have to be particularly great at expressing your thoughts in words. You don't have to be theologically particularly astute to come before God and begin to learn to pray because it's not a show. It's not a performance. God already knows your heart. And so you can come to him and be direct and be honest and be truthful. You don't have to have a seminary degree in order to pray well. Uh, One more quick story. I remember when I was a kid, I was, I don't know, probably eight or 10, the church that I went to uh, in Dallas, the professor, uh, sorry, the pastor, excuse me, great, great man, but uh, I would listen to him pray, and he prayed longer than I typically prayed, and so I asked my parents, I said, hey, do you think that they teach pastors when they go to pastor school? I didn't know what it was called back then. Do you think they teach them how to pray for a long time? Because I couldn't do that, and my mom says, hey, why don't you ask the pastor that? So I did. 
I went up to him and I said, hey, I just question for you. Do they teach you in seminary how to, how to pray for a long time? And I'll never forget this man just turned red and then he started laughing and he goes, no. He said, no, they don't. But that's a good reminder to me that sometimes we pray too long. Right? He said that the longest prayer of Jesus, I think he told me the longest prayer of Jesus in the New Testament takes like three minutes to read out loud. Doesn't mean Jesus only ever prayed that long. We know Jesus sometimes prayed all night long. Right? But he said, it's a reminder to me that I don't have to be eloquent, theologically deep, or we'll see in a minute, pray for a long time in order to connect with God. It's not about a performance. It's about personal connection with God. Not only, Jesus is going to go on, he's going to say, not only is it not about performance, it's also not manipulation of God. Look at verses 7 to 8. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus says, look, you don't need to just uh, use meaningless repetition. Now, the, the Greek word that he uses here, this word is pronounced batalogeo, batalogeo. And a lot of people think that it's an onomatopoeia, right? A word that sounds like what it is. It basically means to babble. You batalogeo, batalogeo, right? You just babble, 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 blah, 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 right? And Jesus says, you don't have to do that when you pray. That's what the pagans do. That's what those who don't know the one true God do. So in the ancient world, for example, if you go back, we talked about this in the book of James. You go back and you look at, for example, the prophets of Baal, the false god Baal. When they wanted to get Baal's attention in the book of 1 Kings, remember that showdown with Elijah, what did they do? Well, they danced around and they cut themselves and they cried out and they shouted ritualistic phrases. They did all of these things to try to get God's attention because they believed that there, there was a magic ritual that you could do in the right order and that would cause their God to hear them and to answer them. In, in the first century, uh, Diana, or Artemis as she was known, in Ephesus, uh, the followers of Diana in Ephesus, they were known to string together all of the many names of Diana at the beginning of their prayer. I don't know how many names she had, but, but dozens of names. They would string together all of them because they were like, we just need to make sure that we get the right name for her or the name that she prefers because if we use the wrong name, she won't listen to us. So just to hedge their bets, they would say all of them and go on and on and on, blah, 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 right? And Jesus says, you don't have to do that with God. Don't use this meaningless repetition. One uh, commenter I read on this subject, he said, look, God isn't measuring your prayer by the yard. Some of us, when we were in school, we were accustomed to having to write essays or papers that had a, a minimum page count or word count, right? And so we got used to that. How, how can I fill out my word count. True story. I've, I've told this, uh, a longer version of this before, but uh, I got, when my brother and I got in trouble with our dad once when we were kids, and as a punishment, our dad made us write 500-word essays. And I remember my brother had to write his on uh, 500 words, Why Not to Play with Fire, which uh, there's a whole other story there I'll tell some other time. But uh, it's harder than you might think to write 500 words on why not to play with fire because there's only a couple of reasons, right? You might burn something down. 
dad said not to, you could hurt yourself, right? That's about it. And so Dan, in an attempt to fill out this essay, I, got, I actually got kind of lucky because I had two different topics. Uh, Dan only had the one. To fill out this essay, uh, you know what he did. He filled it with a bunch of uh, meaningless adverbs, right? Uh, fire is very, 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 very hot, right? Things like that. It's extremely and terribly dangerous, and it could burn something down really, 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 really badly, right? And so he just went on to fill up the word count. And Jesus says, a lot of us, that's what we think we need to do with God. We gotta pray a long time, we gotta say a lot of things, we gotta make sure that we overflow with words. And he says, I want you to understand, God is not up in heaven listening to your prayers and going, hey, listen to that guy's 50 word prayer. (laughs) You know, Bob over there came earlier and he had 350 words and they were better words, right? That's not how God operates. It's not about how long you pray. It's not about even the order in which you pray, although there there can be patterns that can be helpful in prayer. But instead, Jesus is saying it is about your personal connection with God. And he says, you don't have to do that because God already knows what you need before you even begin to pray. And so now we're getting into, of course, these topics of like uh, the nature of prayer and the sovereignty of God and all of that that I, I can't answer in full this morning. We'll talk about some of that a little bit later in this series. But he says, look, God already knows what you need before you sit down. So you don't have to go on and on or use special phrases to try to twist God's arm to get him to give you what you want as if he is Baal or Diana or some pagan God. Because you and I worship a God, and this is really important, you You and I worship a God who is already listening, who always hears you and knows your heart. In Isaiah 65, talking to the people of Israel about his future kingdom, God says, before they even call out, I will respond. While they are speaking, I will hear. How can God do that? Because he knows everything. He knows my heart he knows your heart. And so he can, can know what we're asking for before we ask. Now, does that mean we should never ask for anything? No, because Jesus is going to show us how to ask for requests. And we'll talk about that later on. But Jesus' point is this. You already worship a God who is positively predisposed to answer your prayers and to give you good gifts. Uh, one chapter further in Matthew, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says this, is there anyone among you who if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, Jesus clearly was not reading how to win friends and influence people before he said this. Calling your audience evil is like, don't do that one-on-one from public speaking, right? But Jesus says, I want you to understand this. He goes, look, uh, you're a parent, right? Some of y'all are parents in here. And even right now, some of your kids might be nudging you being like, hey, snack time, right? It's getting close to snack time. And you're like, okay, I I know that. I already know that you're feeling hungry. But what you're not going to do is go, here you go. Here's a chunk of granite. Gnaw on that, kid. Why? Because that's not the kind of parent you are. Or at lunchtime, you sit down and you go, guess what? Live copperhead, right? And you set it down on their plate. Woohoo! You're not going to do that. 
you're going to give them something that will nourish them, something good. Jesus says, look, if you, being sinful people, being evil people, being imperfect people, know how to give basic good gifts to your own children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What Jesus is saying is that God is already positively predisposed to hear and respond to your prayers. So you don't have to dance around. You don't have to come up with a ritual. You don't have to babble. You don't have to impress him. God already is ready to listen. And so, so Jesus is going to say again, prayer is not a performance, and it's not manipulation. But instead, it is a means for us to personally connect with God, to know God in deeper ways. We worship a God who wants to hear from us. Isn't that great news? We worship a God who wants to hear from us. Just as you, as a parent, when your kids are learning to talk, you rejoice in that. You go, wow, there's their, there's their first word. There's their first sentence. They're asking me for the things that they need, the things that they want, right? And although as human beings, I realize sometimes that gets tiresome if you're a parent. The reality is we love to connect with our children. And Jesus says, God is infinitely more the type of God who wants to connect with his children. So we don't have to perform, we don't have to manipulate, we don't have to do all these rituals, but instead, he's gonna say, you can simply come before God and address him as your father and praise him for who he is and tell him what you need and tell him where you're struggling. You can come directly and honestly and confidently before God. So how, how do we pray? Let me offer a couple of thoughts. First of all, all of this is predicated upon an assumption that you know God, that you have a relationship with him. And as I said, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to take us there if you read the whole Sermon on the Mount to say the only way to be a person who knows and honors and pleases God is to come through Jesus, to believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead is the way we can know God, that he has forgiven our sin and offered eternal life. Each of us has to trust that in order to enter into a relationship with God. And so a close prayer life, a deep prayer life is predicated upon knowing him. If you don't know him, that's the place to begin. And then Jesus again, he says, here's, here's how to pray. And we're going to get into this more in the weeks to come. Uh, as he said, we, we pray privately. It's not that we never pray publicly, but that it, it's that our private prayer life actually ought to exceed our public prayer life and be deeper and stronger than our public prayer life. So he says, I want you to get alone with God and pray. If you're not in that habit, I would encourage you, find a time of day, find a place you can go. Maybe it is literally your closet. Maybe it is you need to go for a walk in the neighborhood. I have a friend who has told me, you know, his way of praying is he, he has some woods near his house, and he's like, I just walk. 
and I pray out loud as I walk through the woods. For me, at different times in my life, it has literally been in the closet or on the back porch or early, early in the morning in the living room before others are awake. Find a time and a place and just say, God, I want to get with you for some period of time each day alone. Pray privately, pray honestly, because God already knows your struggles and your needs and your concerns. So you don't have to hide. You can pray directly. And then you can pray confidently, knowing that his ear is already hearing you. He's already inclined to listen. He's not hiding from you. You don't have to dance around to get his attention, but you can come before him knowing that he already is listening and wants to give the things we need for his kingdom, for his glory, for our good. So here's what I want to do as we wrap up this morning. We have an opportunity to pray for somebody uh, that is connected to our church. We're gonna, uh, I'm going to show a video in just a moment here from one of our goers, uh, one of our uh, number who is sharing the gospel overseas in Southeast Asia in a Muslim context. And, and the reason I want to show this, there's a couple of reasons. One, just so we have a practical prayer takeaway, but also because uh, she's going to explain on this video Right now is the last week of the, the holy month of Ramadan for the Muslim faith where they fast uh, and they pray and they do it so that they can, and she'll say this, so that they can earn points with God because uh, Allah is different from the God of the scripture in the fact that uh, there are rituals and practices and things that must be done to get his attention, to earn his approval. And even then you're never sure if you have. And so they're sharing the gospel so that these men and women in their context can understand the God that we worship, that Jesus describes in Matthew 6, a God who loves his people, who listens to his people, who's already ready to hear. A God who sent his son to die for our sins, to rise from the dead, to give us the spirit of God so we can know him and approach him with boldness. And so I want, I want us to hear from, this is Jen and her husband Mark. They're, they're both overseas in Southeast Asia. She's just gonna share a little bit about what they're doing and how we can pray for them as we pray for people to come to know the God who hears our prayers, who responds to our prayers. And then we're gonna take just a minute before we leave to quietly pray for them where we are or with those that we're here with. So uh, listen to Jen for a moment and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Hey guys, my name is Jen and I live in Southeast Asia with my husband and my three children. Um, and I just wanna say first off, thank you to Grace for all of your love and care and support. We are so grateful for, um, yeah, you guys as Ascending Church, it means a lot to know that you guys are praying for us even right now. So just wanna say thank you um, to, to you guys all for that. Um, and this month is Ramadan in the country we live in, and so the people are fasting every day, which means no food or drink um, from sunset to sundown. And what that looks like for us, or kind of what we experience, is that around 3 a.m. we'll start hearing people like hitting drums, and the usually little boys run around waking up people, and then the women will start cooking. Uh, about 4 a.m. there's kind of like a louder call to wake everybody up and at, they usually eat together after that and break and kind of have one meal before they start fasting and then at 5.30 they will start fasting that morning um, and have a call to prayer. And so it's really pretty noisy at night here but we have a sound machine so um, that helps us sleep through it. 
And then throughout the day, people are just more tired, a little more hangry, if you can imagine. And um, they are doing this because they want to be closer to God. They want to earn favor with God, kind of earn like points, you know, that kind of thing with God. Um, but they're also doing it to see what it's like for a poor person and kind of the money they save during this time they give at the end of Ramadan to people that they see as poorer than themselves. Um, and they're also doing this so that they can learn like self-control. Um, you know, if they're fasting and they start finding themselves upset easily, how can I have self-control in this situation? And so those are some of the reasons I've heard as to why people are fasting. Um, yeah, so kind of during the day, they're just not as active. The roads are a little more empty. And then about four o'clock, um, they start cooking their meal. And 5.30, the sun goes down here. And so they break fast together and they'll have kind of a longer drawn out meal. Um, and they do it with lots of groups of friends. They kind of rotate, oh, I'm gonna do it with my you know, high school friends. I'm gonna do it with my elementary friends, with my family. And um, so it's a really great time for a relational connection with people and having more spiritual conversations. Um, so we've appreciated that aspect of Ramadan. Um, some ways you guys can be praying for us is that we have noticed kind of an uptick in spiritual warfare. And um, yeah, just whether it's kind of dramatic things or it's just more tension in relationships, we've, we've noticed more spiritual warfare. So we'd just love for you guys to be praying for us that we'd really walk with Jesus closely and in his power. Um, and then also be praying for people here to have dreams and visions of him. It's a very spiritual place and um, just that he would move in power in their lives and um, really open their hearts to the gospel. Um, as you're watching this video, there are about 30 to 40 women that are at my house right now and we are breaking fast together. Some of these women are believers, some aren't. Um, and we have started one group, the women that I'm kind of doing ministry with, uh, one Bible strategy group with some of these women, and we hope to start a couple more. So we just love your prayers for that group of women and just pray that their faith would be deeply rooted in Christ and um, that those who have yet to really trust in him um, would be granted, you know, just more faith and more courage to do that. Um, it is costly for their lives. And so, um, yeah, just be praying for their hearts and for their lives. And yeah, we are so grateful for you guys and really appreciate your prayers and your love and your support. All right, so what I thought, I, you know, we can do just for a moment or two as we, as we close, just, just where you are, just spend a moment, pray for Mark and Jen, those that they're ministering to, that they would come to know Jesus and that they would come to understand the God who, who hears and who listens and who loves and is gracious. So let's take a moment quietly where you are. You can pray with those around you and then I'll close us in just a moment. Father, we thank you that you're a God who hears our prayers, who responds to our prayers. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to impress you, we don't have to manipulate you, 
or twist your arm to hear us and to listen to us. We praise you because we know through Jesus Christ that you care so much that you, you came to be with us, to know us, so we can spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray for Mark and Jen as they share the gospel in Southeast Asia. Father, I pray give them clarity with their words. I pray give them connections with those who are thinking about coming to know Jesus. I pray they would see people come to know Jesus for the first time. I pray protect them from the attacks of the enemy. Father, strengthen them in the work that they are doing. Father, I pray that we would be people who experience and testify to the reality that the Holy Spirit lives in us and among us, that our Father in heaven hears us, and that your Son, Jesus, died and rose again so that we can know you. Let us live that out. Let us believe it, and let us proclaim it as we go out from here. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.